0: touch with technology with Tech Stuff
1: from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there everyone and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am Jonathan Strickland, one of the two hosts of this show.
0: And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, the other of the two hosts of the show.
1: And today we wanted to talk about something that's pretty cool. Oh no. Yeah, I've already started. We're going to talk about refrigerators. And and here's the interesting thing, guys. If you listen to the episode that Chris Pellett and I did uh, quite some time ago about air conditioners, this podcast is going to sound very similar to that because the technologies used in air conditioning systems and the technologies used in refrigerators are essentially the same.
0: Yeah, just one is a more small and controlled and um, not and, for people, usually. Yeah, yeah you usually.
1: don't. Right. No, there's some notable exceptions to that. Uh We are not going to talk about those guys because that's creepy and probably belongs in another podcast. Excellent. Okay, so we're not talking about people in refrigerators today. Although now I can't think of anything else. Um, but no, no, no. First, let's start with what the definition of refrigeration is. So it, it's defined as the process of achieving and maintaining a temperature below that of the surroundings. And the aim of it is to cool some sort of space or object to a required temperature.
0: Uh, right. Because bacteria grow most rapidly in this. And it's, it's called the danger zone, actually. Yeah. Um, uh, of, of, uh, in, in between.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I now I have a new thing filling up my head, but okay, yes, excellent. the danger zone. Well, that,
0: that's I debatably better than than body well, it's parts and forces. archer really. And so okay, well, excellent. Uh, but so yeah, the the danger zone is in between forty degrees Fahrenheit and one hundred and forty degrees Fahrenheit, which is uh four point four to sixty degrees Celsius. And um and in that temperature range, bacteria. Really just groove out. Yeah, uh, they, they can, they can more than double in, in 20 minutes. Yeah. And the
1: population just explodes. Yeah. And, and bacteria and for things like, uh, you know, uh, food, stuff that, that we would consume, that's not necessarily a great mix. That can lead to, uh, some pretty nasty contamination. Uh, it can lead to some really serious health problems. And, uh, and this is, Why refrigeration is such a big deal. I mean, clearly, before we had any kind of refrigeration, we had to look at different ways to preserve food. Otherwise, you pretty much had to get food from the source and consume it right away.
0: Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Or as close to immediately as possible. Or you had to cook it so that it would, yeah.
1: So it wouldn't spoil as quickly. Or you had to salt it like crazy so Mm -hmm. that, again, the salting would would uh, inhibit the bacteria from from. Uh, from reproducing so quickly right and even in refrigeration we still have that uh, that process it's just slowed down quite a bit which is why you cannot leave food in a refrigerator uh, indefinitely it will eventually go bad um, and then uh, just like in that great far side cartoon, the potato salad will hold up the ketchup uh, when <laughs> potato salad goes bad uh, so the, the trick here, though, is how do you create this cool environment, this, this cold environment? Because uh, adding heat to things is easy. Huh. Taking heat away, not as easy. Less,
0: less easy, yes. And,
1: and also, uh, before I get all my physicist friends uh, sending in messages about the use of the word heat, I do apologize. We're going to be using it uh, in the vernacular quite a bit because that's really what everyone's familiar with. But to be clear, an object does not possess heat. It has a temperature, but it doesn't possess heat. An object will have internal energy as a result of molecular motion. And heat is really the description of an energy transfer process. And uh, you go from a high temperature object to a lower temperature one. That is the basic uh, concept of heat. It's really an energy transfer. So when we say like this object's got a lot of heat to it, uh that's a that's a completely colloquial way right. of saying it. So I do acknowledge that. I apologize. Uh but if you really want someone who's gonna be a stickler for science, go bug Robert Lamb because he loves that. The stuff yes. to blow your mind guy. Um Robert's awesome. I love Robert. Oh definitely. Uh, so, yeah, uh that's the way he heat works though. You have high temperature, low temperature, then heat moves from the high temperature to the low temperature. It does not go the other way around, right? right? Without without some sort of external force working on the system. Uh this is essentially one of the the basic laws of thermodynamics. And so you've got this uh you you've got a way you have to find a way of creating a lower temperature uh, environment to pull heat from or to for heat to transfer, transfer from, from the objects that are inside a refrigerator to make them cool. So that's the basis of refrigeration. But, you know, to get to that point, we had to do a lot of stuff and we had to understand a lot about physics for this to become uh what we now all kind of take for granted. Yeah. So uh to to get started I guess we can talk about what the predecessor was to the modern refrigerator which was the ice box.
0: Oh right or you know going going way back in time you had you had people not even making ice boxes but sure. just yes just collecting ice and putting it next to stuff.
1: Yeah or or like maybe you know you might have an, a cellar That you'd put ice into, or you might just have a hole in the ground, Mm -hmm. or you may just, like if you were in a part of the world where there was a a significant amount of snowfall, Mm -hmm. uh, we here in Georgia are not in that part of the world. We did have some snow the other day. I could see a bare trace of it. (laughs) next to my steps.
0: Some of it landed in my hair when I walked my dog. That was 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 about about it.
1: But if you were in a place where they get a significant amount of snow and there are large snow banks, then one of the things you might do is store some food inside the snow there, bury it in the snow, and just hope that nothing comes along to to grab that food.
0: Or, yeah, if, if you've got an ice house, you can preserve some of the ice with uh, sawdust or wood shavings. Later on, cork was used uh, yeah. to insulate it for a few months anyway until temperatures warmed up enough. That...
1: Right, right. Yeah, you could, you could definitely slow the process, insulate it enough from the heat uh, of the outside environment so that, it would preserve uh, it. You, you wouldn't lose too much in melt-off. It took a while before people started to figure out the best ways to keep ice from from melting too quickly. And it's interesting because just as they were really getting a, getting very good and making sure they kept ice uh, cold for as long as possible, even in hot environments. Uh, That's when the mechanical refrigeration technology had started to really take off and it became less important.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Um, And these were happening simultaneously, which is really fascinating to me. Uh, It was in 1775 that the first refrigerating machine was produced. I believe it could make small amounts of ice in a lab.
1: Yeah, yeah. To to really understand. uh, Well, first of all, the word refrigerate. I found the I found the earliest use of it, yeah, which was or at least the re- earliest recorded use that I could find, which was from 1550. Ooh, but it was all about using chemicals in water. People were discovering that if they added certain chemicals to water, for some reason, the temperature of the water would drop. So if you were to put something in a container of water that had this chemical in it, you could cool that something. Uh, now, if that something was unprotected food and that chemical was poisonous, that was not necessarily a great thing. But if that something were I don't know a bottle of wine and you have Happened to be French. This was a great way to cool your wine, and in fact, in the Renaissance, these cooled drinks became very popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where, if you added chemicals to uh, water, it would drop the temperature enough that if you put something in it, that uh, that you could turn on a regular basis you could actually make ice this oh, way cool. um yeah so this was kind of an early ice maker not efficient not good for producing ice on any kind of uh, large scale but it was one of those things that the rich people really enjoyed and really those were the only ones who had any chance of getting at it um but yeah it it was just before your uh, the the refrigerator unit type thing you were talking about from the 1770s 1755 is pretty much when we talk about the origin of the idea. That's when William Cullen made his machine with uh which you used a, a vacuum uh and uh ether to uh to create this uh environment where he would put water into a, a container, put a smaller amount of ether in there, put a uh, essentially a, a vacuum bell jar on top, you know, a pump okay. with a pump on it. Sure. By creating the vacuum, the ether would start to boil off. And when the ether was boiling off, when it was vaporizing, he noticed that the temperature was going down uh, in the water. And in fact, by when the ether would continue to boil off, uh, the water would start to turn into ice. Now, we'll talk about why that is a little bit later, but this was one of those early observations that started to lead people into thinking, you know, if we harness this... Can in some be way,
0: pretty cool. Yeah, cool. Oh, I'm yeah, you're sorry. doing it too. You're uh, doing it too. I didn't even mean there's that no, one. You did yours on purpose. There's no
1: way to avoid it. Vogelbaum, join us uh, we together. Need- we will rule the galaxy.
0: Jonathan, we need to. We need to chill out.
1: Yes, we do. Okay. All right. No, too fast. Too fast. You gotta, gotta pace yourself here. Um, so, anyway, this does form the basis. This this idea of uh, vapor. Pulling out heat somehow—that is what was uh, the very basis of, of mechanical refrigeration. It would be quite a while before the mechanical refrigerators would start to become a real thing. Right, right. Uh, I have a—in 1803, you have a Thomas Moore, obviously not that one, a different Thomas Moore uh, of Maryland. In fact, he received a U.S. patent for a refrigerator. Now, this was not the same thing as the mechanical refrigerators that would come later but that same year that was when the domestic ice box was invented right so 1803 you get the domestic ice box this was a usually a wooden cabinet that uh, you would put a block of a large block of ice into the top and then you would keep your food and and uh, and consumables in the bottom part of this cabinet and convection would essentially keep
0: right because it cool. because heat rises and cold sinks the,
1: yeah. the- which is which we know is a is is, is a, a generalization, gross
0: generalization, yes. But
1: but in but general, uh, in,
0: in in this particular case,
1: yeah, you've got you've got the dense less... the dense cold air mm-hmm. going down and the and the less dense warm air moving up because Thank you. yeah. Yes. But we we understand that is a gross uh, overgeneralization, but. For the purposes of this podcast, it's effective enough. Yeah, you kept that ice on top. You have a like a drip tray on, underneath because, hey, that ice is melting. <laughs> um, and so you collect the water, uh, which you would not just pour into the top where it would magically become ice again. Essentially, once that ice was gone, you had to go out and, and buy, buy more, more ice. ice.
0: And actually, the ice trade was really huge right around that time in uh, 1806. I think Frederick Tudor began his his ice empire, he was called the ice king. Yeah. Um, when he started cutting chunks out of the Hudson River and various ponds around Massachusetts and then exporting it as far as China and Australia
1: and India. Yeah. India. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, what's interesting is that India was, uh, the way, the way they were producing ice in India at this time was through a process called nocturnal radiative Cooling,
0: right? I was reading about this.
1: This th- it took me a while to grasp how that works. I,
0: I still did not understand it. So, I mean, what I what I understand that basically they were doing was uh, putting water in shallow clay trays and yep. setting it outside under the open sky
1: mm-hmm. overnight,
0: and then in the morning, ice would be there.
1: Yeah, uh, what what essentially is happening is that the uh, it's it, it, there is another physical process going on here. But you've got you've got a, a tray of water outside. the The sky needs to be clear. Okay. Because what's happening is the heat is radiating from the water out into the atmosphere and escaping that way. Now, if there are clouds, then the heat can radiate back down to because it, it's like an insulator. Wow! It'll it'll end up insulating the Earth, and you end up you don't get temperatures you don't low get the enough. Cool
0: enough temperatures, right?
1: Too. But otherwise, even if the t- the ambient temperature outside is still right around freezing or just above freezing, mm-hmm. you can still freeze water that way. Under a clear sky, it also helps if it's a very dry climate. Oh right, uh, right.
0: And, and from what I understand, the the it's important that it's a that it's an earthenware tray because that way you get some of the um. Uh,
1: well, you have to have that insulated uh, uh effect there as well. There's mm-hmm. the earthen tray, and there's usually hay underneath it. Oh
0: uh, yeah, some kind of compressed.
1: Yeah, so it's it's interesting that that was the way that India was uh, producing ice, but. That was not a very, again, not a very efficient way of producing ice. You couldn't produce a lot of it and, uh, and there was a big demand. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Tudor was really raking it in by harvesting ice in the United States, just natural ice. Not, he's not producing it in any mechanical means. He's actually going out and digging it up, <laughs> packing it in, uh, wood shavings and that sort of stuff, cork, that kind of thing, shipping it to the other side of the world and making huge bank off of it.
0: Huge bank. And and I want to mention that also right around this time, um, in uh, 1787, ammonia was first liquefied in a laboratory. Right. Which is an important, important point. Yeah. Um, so just keep that in your heads for a second. Right. And, um, and then also in 1805, right before Tudor began his big ice trade, um Oliver Evans described did not create but described a closed ether vacuum refrigeration system.
1: Yeah, so this is the same sort of uh of mechanical system that would eventually become what we use in refrigerators. Uh most refrigerators. I, I I'm saying refrigerators in general, but there are different types. Which we um, can get
0: into later. Yeah, yeah. we'll we'll mention a, a few
1: but but the we're focusing on what most of us have available in like in our, our kitchens. kitchens. Uh and maybe our basement. If uh, okay, I'm not going to go back there. It's just, you back took to me to that dark basement. You took me place. to a dark place, Vogelbaum. Really early on. Look, uh, I'm
0: very fond of that of that documentary, American Psycho. So yeah, <laughs>
1: okay, that's fair. In 1820, uh, this is interesting. That uh, the, the uh, Michael Faraday was working again with liquid ammonia, and that's when he started realizing that liquid ammonia, which you, you ammonia is naturally at, at room temperature is a gas.
0: Oh, right, because it boils it at like negative 27 degrees Fahrenheit.
1: So so to, to liquefy it, you have to compress it, you have to pressurize it to make it a liquid. And he realized that when it went from liquid back to gas, it caused uh, cooling. And so, uh, again, another important part of important this mechanical stuff. refrigeration. Yeah. Now, in ni- 1821, a German physicist by the name T.J. Seebeck discovered that if you have two junctions of dissimilar metals kept at two different temperatures, it induces electromotive force or electric current. So what that means is that let's say that you have a junction of a copper wire and an iron wire. Mm-hmm. All right. And then you have a second junction where the iron wire is attached to a second copper wire. Got it. And let's say you were to heat up that uh, that first junction and cool down the second junction, perhaps put some ice on it, mm-hmm. you would actually induce electricity to flow through that wire. Now, that's important because in 1834, uh, Peltier discovers that if you do the opposite, if you put electricity through a series of wires that are, have these kind of junctions...
0: One side will heat up and the other side will cool down. Off.
1: Exactly. And by, then, by
0: up to, I think, 40 degrees Fahrenheit?
1: Yeah, it all depends on what kind of material, material you're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact... This sort of, uh, it's called the Peltier effect, actually, uh, but this sort of effect is dependent upon the types of metals or, or materials you're using and uh, their purity. Uh, mm-hmm. the, if you're using pure metals, the effect is, is pretty small, so small as to not be very useful. It's interesting in a laboratory setting, but not terribly useful. Also, if you're using pure metals, they tend to be very good thermal conductors, right. which means that that... That difference in temperature will not maintain itself for very long. You will eventually have the the heat will move from the high temperature to the low temperature and balance that out. Uh, meanwhile, if you were to use an insulator, then you wouldn't get the effect. So right. it would take years before anyone would find a way to make that useful. But that is used uh, that that same technique. Is used in some like
0: electric, yeah, uh,
1: little portable refrigerator type right. things, like the kind of stuff you might plug into your uh, your car. Outlet. Sure,
0: sure, yeah. B- basically, you just, uh, uh, get a whole bunch of these junctions set up. You put the hot ones outside the unit, the cool ones inside the unit, yeah. and voila, fridge.
1: Yep, that's exactly it. Uh, so, so, spoiler alert, that's how that one works. But we thought, <laughs> we thought it'd be interesting to talk about that. Uh, but that's, that was what caused, was the basis of that sort of refrigerator. Um, and that same year in 1834, Jacob Perkins developed a vapor compression cycle refrigerator using ether. So, uh, you got a lot and of this, people working yeah, this on this. was the this.
0: first uh, patent for it happened. Yeah. happened that Mm -hmm. And uh,
1: 1844, you had John Gorey proposing an air cycle refrigerating machine for making ice. Uh, 1850, you had uh, Rudolf Clausius who said heat can never pass from a colder to a warmer body without some other change connected therewith occurring at the same time. This is what I was talking about at the top of the podcast. It's kind of a rewording of the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, it's related to that. So uh, uh, that's one of the the principles that guided refrigeration as well. Uh, in 1851, our buddy John Gorey, from back when he would, had proposed that air cycle refrigerating refrigeration machine to, to create ice, in 1851, that's when he got the uh, Uh, another patent for mechanical refrigeration. And in 1855, Alexander Twining starts his first commercial ice-making plant using vapor compression refrigeration. Oh, wow. We'll explain what that is in more detail in a little bit. Uh, 1856, commercial refrigeration begins in industries like brewing and meatpacking. Now, commercial refrigeration did not necessarily mean they were using mechanical refrigeration. They could be using natural refrigeration, as in going out and buying lots and lots of Big ice and packing ice, yeah, stuff sure. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to me that brewing picked up on this really quickly. Like, like the brewing companies were like, we want beer that tastes good. It's
0: as though alcohol technology is something that uh, drives industry in some way. Yeah. Meet,
1: the meat packers were slower to follow suit, which <laughs> well, is I mean, disturbing. <laughs>
0: Spoiled meat was something everyone was used to. Right. And if you're
1: drunk enough, you don't care.
0: Precisely.
1: Okay, got it. I understand now. As someone who does not imbibe alcohol, it was just completely foreign to me. But I don't eat meat either, so why do I care? Um, (laughs) Also, we're no longer in the 1850s, as it turns out. But yeah, meatpacking was slow to adopt this technology, but it it did start it uh, back in the 1850s. And uh, the majority of plants wouldn't switch to mechanical refrigeration until about 1914. And by then, you were getting into a really like a booming time of refrigeration, but backtracking just a touch. In, in 1859, uh, we had uh, Ferdinand Carr of France, who developed an ammonia-slash-water refrigeration machine. Uh, 1868, you had Peter van der Weyde. Uh, he patents thermostatically controlled refrigeration systems. Uh, that's going to be important when we get to the modern refrigerator. 1870, Carl Lind publishes a paper called The Extraction of Heat at Low Temperature by Mechanical Means. And he designs the first practical portable compressor refrigeration machine in 1873. Uh, in 1877, that was the peak of the ice trade. Yes. So in the U.S. that it hit its peak right in the, the late 1870s, uh, the United States was exporting almost almost a quarter of a million tons of ice to other countries. Wow. So, uh, yeah, a lot of ice leaving the United States. Um, And uh, uh, it's interesting to me that at this point where the ice trade is at its peak, but mechanical refrigeration is already in its infancy, Mm -hmm. the only reason that mechanical refrigeration even started to take off, it wasn't because the technology was getting great it's because the ice trade was starting to f- encounter problems once it gets to about the 1890s or so. Yeah. Like if the ice trade had not encountered problems, then even with the technological advances in mechanical refrigeration, we may not have seen refrigerators in the United States for another, you know, I don't know, four or five decades.
0: Wow.
1: But, uh, yeah. so yeah, but- and that <laughs> it, it, what happened was, was that, As people were essentially mining ice, you know, cutting away ice from these rivers and ponds, they were starting to, uh, exhaust the clean sources of water. Oh. And so more and more of the ice, the demand was was growing, mm-hmm. right? And the supply was diminishing. Not that we were running out of lakes and rivers and stuff. It's just the demand was so great, it was so and great
0: that there wasn't enough to go around. Yeah,
1: there's not. There there's are only I mean, so know, many that are frozen. And the
0: Hudson is really big and stuff. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're talking about a quarter of a million tons, that's... right?
1: So you're talking about tons of ice that might have things like sewage in them. Uh, not so great when you're using it in the meat packing industry, as Less it turns tasty. out. Yeah, yeah, not maybe not such a big advantage over spoiled meat. Um, yeah. So uh, it's because the ice industry was starting to have these issues that we began to see the rise of mechanical refrigeration. Uh, 1891 was when a trade journal called Ice and Refrigeration began to publish. Uh, 1904 was when the American Society of Refrigerating Engineers was founded. Uh, by the way, the American Society of Refrigerating Engineers, I learned, was about engineers who were experts in refrigeration. It was not a society that would actually refrigerate engineers because the way it was worded, it was confusing.
0: I, I find that difficult to believe, Jonathan. I I think you should check your sources.
1: American Society of Refrigerating Engineers it does sound like you're just shoving a guy with a hard hat into a fridge. And that brings us back to American Psycho. Nineteen eleven, General Electric introduced the first domestic refrigerator, depending upon whom you ask.
0: <laughs> right, yeah.
1: We should also point out that when we've got these dates and saying who brought out the first one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh there's some dispute. In the, and it all, like, I, I've seen conflicting timelines.
0: History, and especially, a uh, uh, scientific and corporate history tends to be written by the victors. And, yeah. um, so therefore sometimes, you know, yeah, d- different reports differ about exactly who won that.
1: Yeah. And, uh, right. And, yeah, you know, exactly. 1913, according to some sources, that's the first electric refrigerator. Uh, according to, actually, Frigidaire's timeline, Aww, I can okay. tell you specifically, 1916 was when uh, models like the Kelvinator and Servel were introduced, and in 1918... General Motors purchased Guardian Refrigerator Company and renamed it Frigidaire. So 1918 was when Frigidaire, as a thing, became a thing. Like it existed before, but it didn't exist in like it didn't have the Frigidaire By name. name, right? Um, and
0: Frigidaire is, is where we get the uh, the the word fridge from, I do believe.
1: I believe so. And it's also they that's the company that developed Freon, which we will talk about a little bit
0: in just a moment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So uh, uh
0: way up in the 1930s, we've got like one other point to cover before then.
1: Well, I, I've got I've got a couple more okay. actually, because I've got I've got three. <laughs> in the 20s here we go oh my goodness so 1925 in the USA there were about 25 million domestic refrigerators only 75,000 of which were mechanical so these refrigerators some of them were more like the icebox refrigerators oh, right right. Um, well I
0: remember I remember watching like Lassie growing up uh, that the, the mom and Lassie had an icebox not not a fridge
1: random oh, the mom in Lassie not the, <laughs> not the mom and Lassie for a moment I thought Lassie had its own fridge I'm like that dog was luckier than I was uh, 1927 was the first porcelain on steel cabinet refrigerator, which is, that's the one I always think of, like the 1950s refrigerator, the big porcelain ones.
0: Right, right. It looks um, a little bit like a rocket. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mine, mine is, mine's a steel refrigerator. I've got the stainless steel thing going now. So, uh, but I, I remember the one, the porcelain ones. Uh, The ni- 1929 was when Frigidaire introduced the first home food freezer and it was a chest style freezer. So, okay. you know, not the, not the upright type, not, not incorporated into a refrigerator. Um, and that was right around that time is when uh, Frigidaire starts to introduce chlorofluorocarbons. Uh,
0: right, I believe that uh, Dupont had developed. Uh, it, it's also called a, a Freon.
1: Yeah, the, um, the, that's the patented specific chlorofluorocarbon that Frigidaire introduced.
0: Right, um, and uh, yeah, before then, um, some of the very early fridges, I believe, were using sulfur dioxide.
1: Yeah, and sulfur dioxide, methyl chloride,
0: uh, ammonia. Yeah,
1: and these are all chemicals that are toxic
0: super toxic. So
1: whenever there were accidents, and you know, we're human, accidents happen. It happens. uh, Then uh, sometimes people were really badly injured or even uh, they died, even as a result of being exposed to these sort of chemicals. Mm -hmm. And so there was a a big incentive for companies to develop refrigerants that were not toxic. And so that was the, the reason why companies were looking into something like a chlorofluorocarbon. Now later on we would learn other downsides to chlorofluorocarbons uh, which we'll talk about in a second um, which is why we don't use them anymore right now in 1931 that was the first use of freon as a refrigerant. so it was uh, kind of introduced in 1929 and by 1931 it was being incorporated into the design of mechanical refrigerators and in 1948 the first refrigerator freezer combo with the freezer having its own separate section was introduced. so you that was where you know you would open up the fridge part or you would open up the freezer part. Um and in 1949 Soviet engineers discovered a way to create thermoelectric refrigeration systems using the uh the uh, Peltier effect by using semiconductor material. Oh wow. Because you know like I said those pure metals weren't pre- enough of an effect for it to be useful in any way, they found that by using semiconductor materials, they could create a temperature differential that was effective enough for it to be used for something.
0: It's science. So yeah, they yeah. actually started
1: creating ref- uh, refrigerators using that thermoelectric system rather than the vapor compression system that was being used pretty much everywhere else.
0: Mm-hmm. Also, in, uh, in 1949, uh, the, the business was so booming that 7 million refrigerators were being produced in the U.S. annually.
1: Nice. And in fact, my timeline ends at 1949 because I didn't write down specifically the uh, bit about the 1970s where... Uh, right around the 1970s was when we started figuring out the chlorofluorocarbons were starting to accumulate in the atmosphere
0: yeah and eat through the ozone layer which is not the science for that uh, that's right
1: <laughs> right but that it was it was in fact harming the ozone layer and uh, that was what gave the uh, incentive for us to develop something besides that yeah which is why
0: these days uh, uh, hydrofluorocarbons or isobutane or um, right.
1: yeah th- those are the those are your main two mm-hmm. uh, to be used because uh, they don't have the same environmental impact nor whether they have the same toxicity uh, levels as the previous refrigerants before yeah. freon,
0: yeah, uh, ammonia and things are still used in industrial capacity because they assume that someone who has you know um, five thousand dollars to drop on a refrigerator is going to, or five thousand dollars more on top of what you would normally spend, is going to take a little bit better care with care of it and not you know let the dog eat through the back end. Yeah, but
1: it's 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 one of those things also where you're talking about efficiency as well. Ammonia is a very efficient yes. uh, refrigerant, so that's that's you know when you're talking about a large scale production, efficiency ends up being the difference between. A profitable year and a disaster.
0: Uh, yeah, especially when you've got health inspectors coming through making sure that you do not have any food that is entering that danger zone that I talked about.
1: Right. So that, that kind of brings us up to speed to the general refrigerator of today. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor, Okay, so I think it's time we start talking about the actual process of refrigeration and how the modern day refrigerator in general works.
0: You mean the technology of it? Like we're, like we're a tech yeah, show? Yeah,
1: as if we were talking about the stuff that is tech. Yes. Crazy talk. So, uh, so you're using, essentially the refrigerator, uh, cooling system is a closed system. Right. Right. It's a closed system. Think of it as a series of tubes. So it's its own internet, but it's a series of tubes that are all connected to one another. There, there's no external, you know, venting or anything right. or intake. So you've got a um, a system where you're using a refrigerant, like we were talking about a in coolant, those early days. Yes, yeah, some sort of uh, some some sort of of material that at room temperature is a gas, but when you pressurize it, you can make it a liquid, and that's the key. So. Um, if you if you are having trouble understanding how this works, think think about like a you get some rubbing alcohol and put a little bit on your skin, and you are going to feel that it it feels very cool. And that's not because the rubbing alcohol itself is it's at a cooler cold. temperature. Right. Yeah, it, that the the liquid in the bottle when you hold the bottle it can feel like it's the simply it's the, the same, same temperature, temperature as the room. It, right, right. But when but the thing is that. Al- rubbing alcohol will start to evaporate at room temperature. So when you put it on your skin, as it evaporates, you're going to feel your skin cool down. That evaporative effect, its as the, the liquid is turning into a vapor, it's pulling heat uh, right. it's through a, part of that physical reaction.
0: Endothermic reaction, the energy that is required to turn something from a liquid to a vapor, um, sucks in energy, heat energy, from
1: the right. air around it. And you've got the higher temperature generated by your body. So that's where that heat can come from. It can pull the heat from there to help uh fuel this reaction, essentially. Again, we're kind of oversimplifying, but Yeah,
0: but we're also not, not physicists and so and we and we
1: also don't have visual effects to show you what we mean, which makes aside it Aside
0: from our own gesticulation, which know, is really only benefiting
1: us. Yeah, uh yes. We can uh we can also do the safety dance in here, apparently. That's that's what it looks like whenever I start talking. Um that's just the way I am. But okay, so You've got the the coolant in your refrigerator, which is called a refrigerant. The coolant moves through a series of coils. And through different parts of the system, the, the, the coolant is either going to be in a liquid state or a gas state. Now, you have to think of this system in its various parts. So on... It's kind of hard to say on one end of the system because, really, in a way, this is kind of like a big circle.
0: Uh, sure. So you sure. don't have
1: a start and an end, I, really. I but think it's
0: easy to start with the with the compressor. A, the compressor. a
1: compressor. So yeah, you have got a compressor. The compressor is, of course, does what it sounds like it does. It compresses. Compresses the gas. So it's. Uh, well, it compresses
0: the coolant at the at the time.
1: Is it a gas? Yes, it's a gas. Excellent. It's compressing it. So it's coming in through. Uh, it's pulling in gas and compressing it. Now. Remember we said that heat is not a thing that an object possesses. Uh, it, instead, an object possesses some sort of internal energy. So if you were to pressurize something, like a gas, if you were to pressurize a gas, uh, or you were to heat up that gas, you would increase the molecular movement there. Mm-hmm. And just from being able, just from observing the gas itself without having any knowledge of how it got that way, you would be unable to tell whether it had uh, achieved its internal motion through heat, pressurization, or some combination between the two. They would be in, indistinguishable. They all look the same. Right. right. So essentially what I'm saying is that compression and heat get you the same result. So you are compressing this gas, and uh, as a result, the, uh, the temperature of that gas goes, goes up. up. All right? So you then create this long series of coils...
0: Uh, this is on the outside of the fridge. Out this the is outside, uh, the, exactly. the compressor is is uh right right at the ed- edge of the fridge. It, it draws the air in.
1: Yeah, it draws the gas. It tra-
0: tra- draws the right, sorry. Draws the gas from the fridge out to the outside. Right. It compresses it and then yeah, and then it proceeds up through the series of
1: of coils. Uh, of coils. Yeah, and you keep in mind, like I said, this is totally a closed system. This this gas is not exposed to the interior of your refrigerator. There's it's always in In tubes, essentially, it's always in pipes. Mm -hmm. So it's going through uh, after it gets compressed. It's heat heats up. It does. It isn't heated up. It heats up through the compression, Uh, and then it goes through this series of coils. As it goes through the series of coils on the outside of the refrigerator, it starts to lose some of that. It it, you know the heat moves from the uh, the coils to the. Surrounding atmosphere. Oh,
0: right. That that is the purpose of these coils to to cool down this air to the point that it's going to condense gas. Redem- <laughs> gas. Sorry, <laughs> it's okay. I, I, uh, <laughs>
1: Just don't want it to be too too vague.
0: <laughs> right.
1: But yes, it it yes exactly. It's it's cooling down the gaseous coolant, right? Because because uh, at this point that that compressed gas is at a higher temperature than the ambient air around it. So Correct. if you were to touch one of these coils, you would feel that it was very hot.
0: Yes. We and don't necessarily recommend doing no, that. No, don't
1: do it. Don't do that. And, and this also shows that the refrigerator is only going to work if it's in an environment that is cooler than what the coils are. Like if, if for some reason you put a refrigerator in the middle of a volcano then the if air... It were above
0: like 140 degrees it probably wouldn't do, do right.
1: too well. Right. Because, because then you have the temperature of the uh surrounding environment is higher than the temperature of the coils, the heat transfer would move in the opposite direction. The
0: gas would never cool down. Right. So yeah. So
1: so clearly you have to have a cooler temperature in your environment. In this case, it's in your kitchen. And your kitchen, while even when you're cooking full blast, feels like it gets pretty warm, is nowhere near as hot as those those coils are first uh, when the gas is compressed. So as it moves through, uh it starts to cool down and it begins to condense. And under that compression, under that pressure, this condensed cooler gas becomes a liquid because as you increase the pressure on a liquid, you also increase its boiling point. Right. So if you were to take a, uh, let's, let's take water. Okay, so water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit or 100, 100 degrees Celsius. It's so much easier to talk in terms of Celsius. It is. Although I'm totally... I, I, I'm so used to everything else being in Fahrenheit that water is the only thing that makes sense to me in Celsius. Right. So, But that's because I'm an ignorant American. All right. So, uh and I'm not saying all Americans are ignorant. I'm saying I am. So <laughs> anyway, um so at 100 degrees Celsius, that's normally when water would boil. Sure. Right? Uh, water under one atmosphere of pressure. If you were to increase the pressure on that pot of water, let's say, let's say we somehow put... A, uh, a pressure cooker around this, this uh, a pressure canister around this pot of water, and increase the pressure on that water, that would also increase the boiling point. So you would actually have to go over 100 degrees Celsius in order to get that water to boil. Mm-hmm. Same sort of idea here. You've got this compressed gas. You've got it condensed down into a liquid. That means the boiling point has gone up. So as long as that that liquid is under pressure, the boiling point is higher than it normally would be. That's why it can be a liquid. Right. All right, so you've got this liquid. It would normally be a gas at this temperature. How do you make this liquid suddenly, magically make everything cool again? Well, you gotta have a valve,
0: right? An expansion and, uh, valve. Joule Thompson, or, or Joule Kelvin, uh, depending on on how how you want to say. The, uh, uh, Lord Kelvin's Lord, name. Lord Kelvin, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, came, came up with this with this ingenious little valve concept where, if you have a high pressure liquid on one side uh-huh. and a very tiny hole. Right. And a low pressure area on the other side?
1: Right. Stuff happens. Right. What happens is that liquid will pass through that expansion valve. Once it gets to the area of low pressure, now you don't have the pressure on there anymore. Once the pressure's gone, that boiling point goes back down to where it normally to would normal. be. Mm-hmm. Now, again, with the refrigerants you're using in the refrigerator, that boiling point is way lower than room temperature. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Ne- negative 28 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 33 degrees Celsius.
1: So that's when this liquid would normally boil off into a gas. Okay, here's the other cool thing about boiling points. Let's say that you are magically inside an oven. Don't ask me why you went in there, but you're okay for some you you're very you're, heat resistant yeah. okay now you've got a you you have that pot of water from the pressure uh, experiment earlier because okay. we don't like to waste no no right? no, no. So especially
0: not water it's a, it's a precious resource, precious resource yeah. so you
1: you've you've taken that pot of water with you into the oven and you're watching the water and you, the temperature inside the oven is 400 degrees and you're watching the water boil and you, you you have a thermometer inside the water it doesn't have any contact with the metal or anything it's just measuring the temperature of the water the temperature of the water even though the oven is, is 400 degrees. Temperature of the water is still going to be, assuming regular pressure, mm-hmm. 212 degrees Fahrenheit, 100 degrees Celsius.
0: Because that water cannot, physically cannot go above that temperature.
1: Not, not at liquid form. Mm-hmm. No, because as, when you're in liquid form, you can go only up as high as the boiling point and then you turn into gas. And then you turn into something right? else. So. so, so the water itself is at 100 degrees Celsius. So to you, because you know you're in the 400 degree air, to you the water would actually seem cold. Sure. Right. So that's the whole idea: is that once it goes down to this boil, boiling point, the temperature actually drops dramatically. So it goes through the as- expansion valve. The liquid, the highly pressurized liquid, goes through this expansion valve, hits the area of low pressure, immediately boils off. And because or, it's bo- or mo-
0: most of it, from what I've read, about half of it boils off.
1: Well, yeah, because again, you're getting into this low pressure system, mm-hmm. which means that now that that uh, that it, it's no longer confined by the high pressure, right? Which means now it can it can boil off into its vapor form, which means that it starts pulling in uh, heat to to. Essentially, be part of this uh, this uh, this, yeah, in, this in, process. Yeah,
0: yeah. As as the process happens, it pulls in heat necessarily because that is where the energy for the process comes from.
1: So what what that means for your refrigerator is that the interior of your refrigerator, all, the heat that's contained within the interior of the refrigerator moves. To these, gets
0: sucked into the pipes. Yeah,
1: so the the, the same kind series, same sort of series of coils that you would find on the outside of a refrigerator, something similar to that is on the inside of your refrigerator. Only there, instead of putting heat out, it's pulling heat in. Right. Because it's pulling heat in from the interior of your your uh, refri- refrigerator and freezer. There's just there's really just more length of it yeah, in your yeah. freezer than there is in your refrigerator. That's the difference there.
0: Yeah. So and, uh, so so yeah. So this liquid, this half liquid half gas, is running through the Coils inside the body of the fridge uh, and fans are blowing air across the coils through the uh, food part of the fridge, right. which which continues to to vaporize the rest of the liquid into gas, right? And continues to pull
1: more heat, more heat. Yep, and that's what makes the refrigerator cold. So really, it's not that it's not that the refrigerator is pushing cold in; it's pulling heat out. So that's something. Cause, I mean, when Which you, is so cool. Yeah, when you open up a refrigerator and you feel that little blast of cold air, you just think, "Oh, there's something magically there's a fan. There's pressing a magic cold fan. in." Yeah, no, yeah, that's no. not what's happening. So, uh, but it is really neat to think about that. That's all going on at the same time. So you really you're talking about two closed systems: the closed system of the interior of the refrigerator where all your food is, and the closed system of the actual coolant that's moving through. And um, yeah, that's that's the basic idea. Oh, oh, and once it get once the gas gets to the end of that part of the cycle, you know, it's it's completely in gas form. It's no longer pressurized. That's when the compressor pulls that gas through to move it all the way through the system again. So it's reusing the same coolant over and over and over again
0: with with no waste.
1: Right. Assuming there are no leaks in the system, you're good to go. Right. If you've ever had to have a refrigerator or freezer unit, uh, if you had to have coolant added to it, this happens. Frequently, I've seen with air conditioning systems mm-hmm. uh, or climate systems, then that means there's probably a, there has to be a leak somewhere in there because it is a closed system. And otherwise, you shouldn't really have any loss, at sure. least not any appreciable, appreciable loss. Yeah. So that's the basic way a fridge works. I find it super uh, interesting <laughs> I almost said cool I almost did it I almost did it. I didn't want to do that
0: I think did I do that a second ago I apologize I no, apologize no. for accidental puns guys
1: but uh you might be wondering okay well my refrigerator allows me to set a temperature mm-hmm. right like I, I I can choose to either go super Total cold
0: Arctic blast. yeah
1: for for my freezer I want it to be as cold as possible mm-hmm. or you might think well no that's gonna use up a lot of energy, I'm going to be a little... Yeah, yeah. More when, when
0: when the stuff in your cheese drawer is starting to frost over and you start going like, yeah, this yeah. is bad.
1: So uh, what, what governs that is what's called a thermocouple, which is essentially a thermometer and a switch. So the thermometer detects the temperature, the interior of the uh, refrigerator. And when it drops below whatever the temperature is set to turns off electricity to the compressor so the compressor stops which means this whole cycle that we've been talking about stops and then if the temperature creeps up above it again it, it turns electricity back, back on yeah so that's when if you've ever heard your refrigerator just kind of mm-hmm. kick on mm-hmm. that's what's going on and okay. I, you know the the more modern ones do this really efficiently so you don't have it happen as frequently or as uh, dramatically mm-hmm. i remember an old refrigerator i had where you thought that you know perhaps steven spielberg was filming poltergeist 4 in your kitchen,
0: every time it kicked in, yeah. yeah. Modern fridges also do uh, contain small low wattage heaters, which uh, just keeps the evaporator coils at the correct temperature and not frosted over, right? Um, which, which I find also fascinating. Just yeah, like like fridges contain heaters. That's the thing that they do.
1: Yeah, and and you know, obviously refrigerators can have lots of other bells and whistles on them. Of course, uh, sometimes literally, my my refrigerator does ding uh, if I like if I am using the there it has a water dispenser, right? Okay, so. It intakes water from my, my house's water system and puts it through a filter and then I can get a nice clean glass of water. But if you open up a, uh, the other door, it's a, it's a double door refrigerator. Sure. If you open up the other door, it cuts the water off. You can't, you can't dispense water while a door is open. And if you have depressed the, uh, the water dispenser, it will ring at you and mercilessly chide you for trying to do two things that are not compatible. Because I frequently forget while I'm getting a glass of water, I'm thinking, you know what would go great with this water? That enormous hunk of cheese that's in my refrigerator. And then my refrigerator tells me that, yes, indeed, that would be lovely, but you need to wait until but you've no. either gotten the cheese or finished getting your glass of water. You cannot do both at the same time.
0: That's great. I love it when electronics chide me. And by love, I mean hate. I yeah. hate that thing.
1: Well, and, and there are other kind of interesting uh, like additions you can get. LG has a Beer chiller.
0: Yeah, that's,
1: so this is this thing. I actually got to see this in person uh, at CES. Oh, that's right, because it was at CES. CES I 2012, 2012. I think yeah. it won
0: like the the innovator award. Yes, that year, it didn't did.
1: It? it did. It won one of the innovation awards, uh, and uh, so. This is like a tiny little thing chamber within the refrigerator part itself.
0: It's called a blast chiller. Yeah, it's designed
1: yeah. it's designed to take a uh <laughs> well. The the demo was a can of beer from room temperature to ice cold within about five minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, and essentially it's doing the same process we talked about right here. It's just that I imagine there are more of those coils.
0: It's a very small chamber and a, a very controlled.
1: Yeah, so. there's there are fans involved. I mean, it's it's they're 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 trying to increase the circulation of air and the uh and the the surface area that the cold coils uh have so that it pulls heat as efficiently as possible so that you can have your frosty beverage when you want it or mm-hmm. at least 5 minutes after you thought about it um uh, and that's assuming you want one can if you want two it's going to take about 8 minutes cuz it that's more for it to more heat for it to disperse um but yeah there's there's stuff like that, and then there's smart refrigerators
0: right yeah now you can you can have your fridge uh, tell you what's in it and what kind of recipes you can make with that and yep. yeah, and
1: send information to other elements in your home, assuming that they are made by the same company
0: <laughs> and, and are compatible are willing to talk to each other
1: yeah so the the idea here of course is that uh, and it's not a new idea. It's one of those things that people have been trying various uh, to, to implement in various ways. but like, now that
0: we have smartphones, it's a little bit
1: it's a little easier. Yeah, because you can you can connect a smartphone to a uh, refrigerator and scan things in that way. That was that was the big issue, right? Was that how do you tell a refrigerator what's inside of it?
0: If you have to stand there and manually input onto probably a really miserable touchpad on the yeah. refrigerator surface, uh, exact like how many bananas you have? I don't. I never want to do that. You don't
1: put bananas in the refrigerator. I, I
0: do not put what bananas. Are you
1: thinking. I... Okay, well, uh, Vogelbaum, I found your problem. Uh, no, but you, you are, you are correct. That, that's, that's the barrier, right? Mm -hmm. How do you make it so easy? And, you know, there were people who were talking about, why don't you put RFID chips and, uh, or strips of some sort onto various products? And then you could just have it scanned when you put it in. But then other people were saying, wait, if you have RFID chips, you can end up tracking everything that someone buys, whether they want to be part of a customer you know, uh, loyalty program or not. Program or not. Yeah. yeah. And there are people who are very sensitive about that. And I can completely understand, you know, I personally, I don't worry about it that much, but that's just because that's who I am. I'm right? willing
0: to do it so that I can get my 55 cent yogurt coupon. Right. And that, right. You know, but, but I'm, I'm, I
1: totally understand the people who are like, look, oh, sure. no one has any business knowing what I buy. I go out and totally. I buy it. I buy it with my money. It's my exchange. That's all that that's where it should end. I'm. Like, I totally respect that. Uh, but uh, – so that – that the RFID thing never really – I mean I, I've seen some implementations of it, but I don't expect Never really that. got off
0: the ground. Yeah, because sure.
1: it would also require the entire food industry to change, right? right. All the packaging would have to change and that's – when you look at that across every single company that makes food that's designed to go into a refrigerator – that's a lot of money.
0: Yeah. That that yeah. would
1: require billions of dollars of investment from various companies. Yeah,
0: for for a relatively low usage point, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially right now cuz we're talking about, you know, right now I don't think there are that many people who have smart refrigerators. Mm-hmm. And again, like to get one that's really useful that can work with something else like say your your oven so that you know, you pull up a recipe on your refrigerator and it's, it's telling you what you can make based upon the ingredients that you, that it knows that you have available. And you say, yes, that's what I want. I'm going to make uh, chicken a la king. And you push the button. And then it could actually, if, again, if it's part of this, this sort of network system could send information to the oven so that the oven starts to preheat
0: to the correct temperature to make chicken a la king. Right.
1: While you are actually pulling the materials out so that you can prep them for, for cooking. So this way it ends up making the whole experience more efficient.
0: And could even potentially uh, uh you know send another note out to your cell phone the next time that you're in a shopping market and and, and say hey say, by hey. the way
1: you really like this one thing because you you made it like 14 times in the last two months Ma- but maybe if you want it again
0: uh-huh. <laughs> or or maybe you're at a chicken uh, and yeah. you were planning on doing something else later this week maybe you need to buy more chicken yeah it just yeah. tells
1: you uh, go out there and buy more chicken now the The thing that I find interesting is that you know, we're talking about this these are kind of future applications that are really coming into to practice now uh, uh and we'll probably see more of that in the next maybe five or ten years It's going to take a while before this technology to to get out there far enough for it to be pervasive, especially you know once you buy a big appliance like a refrigerator, you want that to last for a while right yeah it's not that's, something you replace that's like every a couple of years thirty year kind of investment, it can be. I it definitely think. I mean, can you know. be. So, I I think this is one of those, those, uh, things that we're gonna see kind of played around with like high-end homes and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't imagine I'll be buying a smart refrigerator anytime in the near future, unless I just win the lottery or something. I'm like, I don't know what else to do with this one. Bridges for
0: everyone! Right!
1: Bridge party! Like just knock on random doors. Guess what you won today? Yeah, I don't know otherwise. But it is interesting to me because I, I sit there and I think about the time back when people were like, well, we could buy a mechanical refrigerator, but ice is so available. So right. who knows what sure. will happen? Um, anyway, so that's, that's how refrigerators work. This was a particularly fun episode to kind of talk about. We haven't done a How Something works episode in this kind of level for a while and uh, and we really do enjoy doing them. They're They Definitely. are challenging. Mm-hmm. So uh, but we we enjoy the challenge. So guys, fans, you know I love you. You, got, you,
0: you just had a moment with the microphone that was very that was, that was very sweet he it was really, also, it was he also a little it. uncomfortable he meant it when he said that everybody
1: but yeah so so if you have suggestions for episodes of future uh, uh, tech stuff extravaganza type stuff let us know you know, get, get in touch with us send us an email our address is tech at discovery.com or let us know on Facebook or Twitter our handle there is tech stuff HSw also keep in mind episode 500 of Tech Stuff is coming up very soon. So if you have a, a, a suggestion that we need to cover in that episode 500, definitely let us know. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.